When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This Is The Jet Life. Today's podcast episode is long overdue. It's going to be a 2022 New York Jets season recap. It's going to have a lot more that goes into it. I'm going to get into kind of some of those sections and segments that we're going to do for this not normal podcast coming up. But first, I want to get to kind of the elephant in the room, the big news regarding the podcast. You may have seen in the news on Gangrene Nation, maybe on Twitter, that Gangrene Nation, where I do the podcast... That's part of SB Nation, which is part of Vox Media. Vox Media is going through a ton of cuts. They did like 7% of their staff layoffs. Um, I'm not technically part of the staff. I'm a contractor. But they are eliminating podcasts and even some sports sites um, in a lot of cases. And the Gangrene Nation website is going to continue, as far as I know. But the podcast will no longer be running through that. So I thank John B. I thank Gangrene Nation. I thank everybody that's part of this thing that's given me a great opportunity to kind of have a platform and a bigger voice and an opportunity to speak to everybody. I love it, and it's been an awesome opportunity for me to work there with Gangrene Nation and SB Nation. Everybody over there is awesome, so thank you again You know, from the bottom of my heart. But there's a new opportunity for me, and there's a brand-new kind of kick-started podcast network for sports. It's coming to fruition kind of right now as we speak. I don't have a ton of information on it yet, but I am one of the very first people to sign on to what is going to be the Fan First Sports Network. It's going to be a podcast network for a lot of different sports, a lot of different teams and things. And I said, you know what? I want to keep doing this thing. I want the podcast to be available. I don't want to have to change the name. I want people to be able to find it. And as far as I know, the RSS feeds and a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff is going to transfer over. So potentially this podcast will be very easy to find. If it's not, it should be under the title, This is the Jet Life, as it's always been. It won't be Gangrene Nation podcast anymore, series title. It'll just be This is the Jet Life, so search that. And also look for it on what is Fan First Sports Network. I'm going to be posting some more updates and things on Twitter as information becomes available. But basically my contract with SB Nation expires on the 28th of February. 
and my contract with Fan First Sports Network should begin on about March 1st. So we'll see what happens. That said, I am super, super excited and looking forward to this new opportunity, this new venture to work with some really cool, passionate people, some really good sports people, and see if I can keep delivering what I've been delivering and hopefully make the product better. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Um, If you do, it just makes me look good for this new company early on, which would be really cool. You know, some extra little kudos from them perhaps. But other than that, it's going to be business as usual. It's going to be the same sort of podcast that I've been doing as far as I know. If I switch it up in the, you know, in the future, definitely possible. But I'm planning on doing kind of what I've been doing, which is going to be a season recap today and then do a free agency preview, which is like, you know, free agency is the middle of March. So I'll do a preview before that. Then I'll do a review after free agency has kind of settled down. The dust has settled maybe three weeks after. Then I'll do a draft preview, which is going to be the end of April. Um, The podcast will be right before that. And then I'll do a draft review after that. Probably take some time off in the summer. And then do, you know, as news becomes available, I might do some little emergency podcast episodes or things like that. But then definitely going to do like a training camp preview, position battles and all that stuff. And then start getting into the new 2023 season. So a lot of good things to come. Just, you know, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan and look for this podcast under This is the Jet Life. Look for me under Fans First Sports Network. It's going to be a a really awesome ride. So I thank all the listeners who've been part of this journey, maybe even as far back as Podbean five years ago or so. You know, there's a a handful of people that were there. Obviously, it grew immensely coming over to Gangrene Nation. It's grown slowly since then. And now another great opportunity to, uh, to keep this thing going. So thank you. That gets all that business stuff out of the way. Now we can get on to this episode. It's going to be a long one, probably. I'll try not to make it too long, but you know how those go. The orders of business are going to be, we're going to talk team final kind of numbers and and where they finished. Then we're going to talk notable seasons, whether they were really good or underwhelming seasons on offense, defense, and special teams. Not going to go through every single player's stats. You can find all that stuff yourself. Not going to go through every single player that made an impact. Plenty of podcast episodes talking about every single guy. Um... We're just going to talk about like the notable ones there. I'm going to talk about the player honors. The Jets received a bunch of them this year. Made some front office moves that are worth diving into. And then the big thing right now is the quarterback situation and what the Jets are going to do in 2023. Woody Johnson said he wants a veteran. Zach Wilson, Mike White, Joe Flacco, obviously not good enough to be the starters for next year. So what are the Jets going to do? I rank my quarterback options for the New York Jets as I see obtainable at this point in time. And then I'm going to go through the pros and cons of each of those quarterbacks. And we're going to finish this thing off with, uh, you know, NFL important dates and things to come. And I'll do a what's on tap. I'll do a father time. And that's about it. So without further ado, we can get right into this thing, starting with the team finals on this Jets 2022 season. The team finished at 7-10, and 10, which is well above expectations. Some people had the Jets winning three, four, five games. Brady Quinn even had the Jets starting the season 0-9. The Jets did way better than that. They started the season hot. They were 5-2 and two at one point. Zach Wilson was winning games. Even though he wasn't playing great, things were feeling awesome. The final record is better than we wanted, but the final, the way it finished was worse than we wanted because we had seen so much optimism in the first, you know, 8, 9, 10 weeks of the season. Everything got derailed. The defense kept rocking. We had some incredible rookie performances, but the offensive line was a mess. The quarterback play was a mess. We were getting injuries to some important positions and things, some tough matchups, some close games, and it just kind of fizzled out. 
but they finished 7-10, and 10, and if you told me that before the year began, we would be excited about that. And I think there's a lot of reasons to think the arrow is pointing up for this team still, even before getting a new quarterback. When you talk about what made this team rock, it was the defense. They finished 4th in the league in points against. They finished 4th in the league in yards against. And because of those cornerbacks they have, DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner and Michael Carter, they finished 1st in the league in passing touchdowns allowed. They had the least passing touchdowns allowed of any team in a passing league, which is really cool for this team. So the defense, when you talk about those numbers they had across the board, awesome performance from them. Unfortunately, the offense was as bad as the defense was good. In terms of points for for this team, we finished 29th in the league. In terms of yards for, we finished 25th in the league. So we're a top five defense. We're a bottom five offense. And that makes sense given the quarterback play that we had and the musical chairs going on there. But, you know, it just, it leaves a lot to be desired. And I think that's why Woody Johnson, right or not, has kind of a mandate for the Jets to go out there and get a veteran quarterback. We don't know what the conversations with Joe Douglas are like. We don't know whether there's a playoff mandate. We don't know how safe Robert Sala is, how safe Joe Douglas is, or anybody on this coaching staff. What we do know is that Woody Johnson obviously wants to see some improvements, and we have so many good things going around this team. It clearly kind of just goes right back to that quarterback position, the inconsistency there, the lack of you know, having the same guy in there over and over, and uh, he's going to kind of make sure the Jets go out and do something. So that's the rumor right now is that Woody Johnson has like a veteran quarterback mandate, and I truly believe that one to exist. I don't know if anybody's get fired for not making the playoffs. I don't know if there's any other mandates, but I think they have to find somebody to get under center and play some good quarterback. It's going to be really exciting to see what happens. I'm going to talk about those quarterbacks coming up in the final segment of this episode. But before that, before we start looking at 2023 and what's to come, we got to kind of recap 2022 and some of those player performances that are notable. Starting on the offensive side of the ball, I think two players specifically were notable, or three, I guess. The first one being Brees Hall. He would have been the offensive rookie of the year had he not gotten injured. He actually led, um, you know, I do the offensive player of the game every single week on this podcast. Brees Hall ended the season with the most votes of four or most wins of Offensive Player of the Week, and he only played like seven, eight weeks of the season and still had the most. He was dynamic, electric, game-changing, scoring points, catching the ball, running fast, in the middle, outside, everything you could ask for. He was awesome, and now we have to hope that he's going to be ready for the beginning of next season or even the middle of next season, and when he does come back, that he plays at a high level because it's very possible it'll take him a year or two years to kind of get back up to speed, similar to how we've seen Saquon Barkley getting back into it now, but it was kind of like a two-year recovery period before he was actually dynamic and electric again. For Brees Hall, age is on his side. He's young and can rebound quickly, and the Jets certainly need a running back to get in there, and hopefully we'll have an improved offensive line, but he had a really great season, Brees Hall. Wish we could have seen more and really hope next season he can come back and be even just 90% of what he was. Elijah Vera Tucker got injured the same week. Torn triceps also deserves a big shout-out because Back when the team was clicking and rocking and rolling, he was changing his offensive line position almost every single week and rocking at every single one he did, so he deserves a huge shout-out. And then last, of course, is Garrett Wilson. We're going to talk about him in just a little bit. When you talk about underwhelming offensive seasons, there are a few guys that come to mind to me. I think the biggest one is James Robinson. The Jets traded a fifth-round pick to get him from the Jaguars, when Brees Hall went down and it was kind of like, okay, he's not as good as Brees, but you know what? At least we have another guy that can pair with Michael Carter and this running game can maybe be 
dynamic still and help the Jets. James Robinson was pretty much useless for the Jets. He finished with 85 total rushing yards, couldn't even get to 100. And he was here for more than half the season. By the end of the year, he was inactive for a lot of games. Obviously, Bam Knight came in and ended up taking his spot and getting a lot of the carries, and so did, you know, Ty Johnson was playing. Michael Carter was still getting some. Michael Carter's another guy. A hugely underwhelming offensive performance this year. Three and a half yards per carry for 400 rushing yards. Really inefficient. Really, I mean, every single week on this podcast, we were talking about how, like, man, Michael Carter is just not what he was as a rookie. And the offensive line is a huge part of the blame there. But Michael also didn't have the same sort of burst and ability to get, like, two, three, four extra yards after contact. Even though he's a small guy, he would keep his balance and just get extra yardage. This year, he was just getting snuffed out. Not a lot of uh, big carries, not a lot of big plays for him. And I think he's going to want to bounce back next year. He's going to be on the roster, I'm sure. He's going to have an opportunity to do that. Maybe he was battling through injury. But, yeah, he had one great rookie year and then one not great at all second year. Then another guy who underwhelmed this year on offense, Braxton Berrios. Just 145 receiving yards and 91 rushing yards. Didn't make you know the Pro Bowl or all pros a punt, punt returner, which is kind of his claim to fame special teams. We gave him that like $6 million in contract, and we didn't really get a ton out of him. And part of that is the quarterback play for sure. Part of it is the offensive coordinator, Michael LaFleur, not really knowing how to utilize or what to do with Braxton Berrios, it felt like at times. I feel like in Michael LaFleur's first year, Braxton Berrios was a focal point of the offense in the trick plays, the end arounds, the screen passes, throwing some passes of his own and making things happen. And this most recent year, the Jets kind of just felt a little bit more vanilla. And maybe it's because we were constantly shifting between quarterbacks and it wasn't the same guy there. And nobody ever really got comfortable. But it would have been nice to see more from Braxton. For $6 million, he underwhelmed. And then lastly, I mean, every single quarterback on this roster, underwhelmed. I don't even need to get into that. Zach Wilson had a horrible season. Mike White is not the savior. He was almost as bad. Joe Flacco is so old. And Chris Streveler, thank goodness we never had to see him really throw a football. Because the couple times that he did, he could barely reach the guy he was throwing to. We need a new one. He was fun to run. Everybody else... uh, There were some moments here and there, and that's about it. Going to the defensive side of the ball. Notable defensive guys, three guys really stand out. Number one, Quinnen Williams was incredible. He had 12 sacks, he was dominant often, and he was by far one of the best players we've had on the Jets' defensive side of the ball in so long. I mean, he was the best version of him that he's ever been, and we kind of expected it coming into this training camp this most recent year without an injury being fully up to speed right away, integrated in that defense. But he was a focal point for offenses to look at. He was getting double-teamed frequently, triple-teamed, and he was beating them. He was huge numbers for a defensive tackle to get 12 sacks. So kudos to Quinton Williams, who's playing this year on like a $10 million player option. Next year, he'll be a free agent. Joe Douglas has a, a big decision to make there, whether they choose to franchise tag him next year to keep him on the roster, give him a big extension, or try to trade him. I hope they keep him. He is uh, finally coming into his own. It's like that third overall pick. You were expecting something like this. You were hoping for it. And now he's probably exceeding what expectations were. He's one of the very, very best defensive linemen in the entire league. One of the best defensive players in the league. And when you talk about cornerbacks, DJ Reed didn't get enough credit this year. Didn't make the Pro Bowl. Not an all-pro. But he was almost as good as Sauce Gardner. 
DJ Reed had a bunch of tackles. He played in every single game. He was amazing in coverage, and he deserves a shout-out for what he did because he was, every single week, he was consistent, he was rocking, and he was rolling. Then C.J. Mosley. I know he made a Pro Bowl, and people think it was kind of like, well, he didn't deserve to make the Pro Bowl, and maybe not. He's probably not one of the best linebackers in the entire league. But when you look at what the Jets are on defense and you look at his leadership and what he brings to it, they couldn't have been where they were fourth in yards against, fourth in points against. They couldn't have been those things without C.J. Mosley and his leadership and his play calling and diagnosis of pre-snap reads. I mean, C.J. Mosley was the heart and soul of this defense. Thank God he was healthy enough to play the entire season. And we couldn't have done it without him. So, no, maybe he's not the most physically talented and gifted linebacker in the league right now, but he is one of the most impactful linebackers to have in your team, in the entire league. And so he deserves a shout-out for that. Underwhelming defensive seasons? There weren't a ton, really. Everybody that played for the Jets, like on that defensive line, yeah, we could talk about Carl Lawson. We could talk about how we wished that John Franklin Myers had a bigger season. Jermaine, you know, there were a bunch of guys, but they all had pretty good seasons, and they all had their moments. I think overall that defense, guys stepped up, guys rotated, people were ready to answer the call. And for the most part, the defense was really healthy this year. So we didn't have to see a lot of backups or really not ready players playing. There were a few guys, though, that really struggled and couldn't get anything going. One, Jacob Martin. He couldn't set an edge, and he got traded out of here. The guy didn't have a great tenure with the Jets. He only played for about eight, nine weeks. And then at the trade deadline, he was gone. And then Bryce Hall, who was kind of a hot name, you know, this time last year, we're talking about Bryce Hall being a real... We didn't have DJ Reed at that point. We didn't have Sauce Gardner. And it was like, all right, well, we know we've got Bryce Hall as one of our cornerbacks. And then we've got maybe Brandon Eccles. We should probably bring another guy or two. The Jets obviously opted to go with DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. And Bryce Hall, I mean, from the minute preseason started, he was just getting burned. And he never got any better. And by the end of the season, it was like he was active for basically no games. Barely played at all. I mean, Bryce Hall's stock went from a promising young player who could be a starting cornerback for the Jets for, you know, maybe five, six years, to I don't know what he's doing in this league, the way he played last year. So really underwhelming from Bryce Hall. So that is our defensive side. And now we've got our special teams, which is, you know, gets its own section, but it's really quick here. Um, I just want to say there were some really fun special teams moments this year. There were blocked kicks. The Will Parks touchdown, blocked punts. Michael Clemens was in there for a big one. We had an onside kick recovery with Will Parks and Justin Hardy. Ended up winning that game against the Browns. There were some really cool special teams moments. Definitely some frustrating ones. I'm talking to you, Braden, man. But overall, it was a good special teams season. And I think Brant Boyer deserves a lot of credit because he's been here for a bunch of coaching staffs and coaching changes, and he's stuck around. And he's doing a really, really good job with that unit time and time again regardless of who the pieces are. So just love that we have Brant Boyer and what he's been able to do. We finally had a decent kicking season this year. Greg kicked 81%, which is like, I basically say the bar is 80%, maybe 82% as guys are getting a little bit better in the league, but 80% is what you're looking for. For the last, God, as far as I can remember since Jason Myers, the Jets have not had a kicker anywhere near that. It's been all these just revolving doors of guys that can't kick. And this year, we pay Greg the leg. He comes in, makes some really deep kicks, some long ones. Struggles here and there a little bit, but finishes at that 81% mark. So finally we had average kicking. It wasn't a huge thorn on our side this year. And honestly, that's part of the reason that we won seven games. Because we were able to get points in the kicking game when we needed them. 
So good season from Greg the Leg. And then just a bad, underwhelming special team season from Braden Mann, who is capable of doing some really special things. Had some really nice punts this year. Had some beautiful ones pinned down on the two, three, even one yard line in some games. But he also has like way too many shanks and makes really stupid mistakes and cost us games and kicked a punt return touchdown to the Patriots and like all sorts of things that just make you bang your head against a wall. And at the end of the day, if the Jets are going to be competing for the playoffs, competing in the playoffs, one thing you don't want is the special team, specifically the punter, to lose a game for you. I'd rather have a guy that just, you know, kicks average balls, a Ryan Quigley or something, 42 yards, nothing impressive, nothing crazy, but isn't going to screw you over. I'd rather have that than a guy that can do the amazing and the worst. There's just, that's not a position that we need feast or famine. That needs, that's just get the ball downfield. All right, we couldn't do anything on offense. We're giving it to their team, get it as far back as possible. We don't need feast or famine. We don't need to be freaking on the edge of our seats when our punter comes out onto the field. Sorry, Braden, man. You were really cool coming out of college. I was fired up, but it was a failed experiment. So that is what I have for kind of player news, player notes at the end of this 2022 season. It was a fun year overall, no matter how you slice it. Yeah, it ended shitty, and we wanted to win, and there was an opportunity, and we did blow it. I mean, there were games that we blew. That Patriots game was one of them. There were others. There was inconsistent quarterback play and stuff, and it was super frustrating. And the end of the year just finished, you know, with a sour taste in your mouth. But when you look back at what happened this year and the performance that we got to see from guys like Sauce and Quinnen and DJ Reed, what we saw from Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, Elijah Vera Tucker, there were some really incredible moments, and there were way more than there's been since basically the, like, 2015 Ryan Fitzpatrick season. As a whole, it was only a 7-10 and 10 season, but, man, it was fun. And I appreciated everybody engaging on Twitter, all the fans that I talked to in outside of the podcast, you know, just in my life and at work and anywhere else. Like, people had a different energy to them. It wasn't just to say, like, oh, this team sucks. It was kind of like, man, we're building something here. Quarterback sucks, but we got some good things going. And it was a nice change of pace. It was fun to watch this season. And if they can do what they did this year and build upon that a little bit next year, there's no reason to think they can't. I mean, we're going to have a lot more fun coming up. So that's just a kind of an optimistic way to look at this whole team in this season that did finish 7-10 and 10 without the playoffs. And, you know, we watch uh, Kansas City Chiefs win another Super Bowl with their young quarterback that we could have had, potentially. But all is well. Now the next order of business would be a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And today... I'm drinking a party drink, the College Classic, the Dan Burnham Special, circa 2011, the one, the only, twisted tea, half and half. Hard iced tea mixed with hard lemonade for one delicious, giant yellow 24-ounce can of 5% goodness, and these things went down like Gatorade in college, and I drank them like such. It was a staple of my diet in college, as I was basically incapable of drinking beer, without getting nauseous for the first three years of my college experience. Obviously, a lot has changed since then. But I haven't drank these things in basically 10 years because they made me gain a lot of weight. Young 18-year-old Daniel did not know that you could gain a lot of weight by consuming however many calories and sugars are in one of these giant twisted tea cans, let alone two or a box of it. And now I do, and now I don't drink it. 
But a college roommate brought it to my house for a New Year's Eve party. So I said, you know what? I'm going to save this thing for a big party edition of the podcast. And I can't think of a better way than recapping this fun 2022 jet season. So today, it's Twisted Tea. It's the half and half rendition. It's delicious. It's going down too smooth. And I'm going to be honest, this is bringing back a lot of memories drinking this thing because it really has been so long. But, uh, yeah, 24 ounces just never seems like enough when you're drinking these bad boys. Any hooser, that is this week's What's on Tap. And now, before the next segment, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. Next order of business is talking player honors because some really, really awesome things happened a couple weeks ago. The Jets took home some really, really awesome accolades and awards. And we got to start with our rookie draft class this year. Number one, Sauce Gardner won Defensive Rookie of the Year. No surprise here. Sauce Gardner was incredible from the first moment he came out in the NFL football field, the first moment he came out of college football field. We didn't know how it would translate from the Cincinnati Bearcats where he didn't allow a single touchdown in his entire college career because, frankly, when you come to the NFL, the competition's going to be way higher than that. How would Sauce Gardner do? Well, he led the league in pass deflections with 20 of them. He only allowed two touchdowns in the entire season. He shut down his side of the field as a rookie. There were certain games, like the Lions, for example, where he wasn't even targeted a single time because he was blanketing a guy that well. He only had two interceptions because he's really just not thrown to. It's one of those guys in that Revis fashion where it's like, it's not about interceptions or flashy plays. It's about great coverage, shutting your man down. And because of that, Sauce Gardner won all-pro first team at cornerback in his rookie season and so obviously the defensive rookie of the year. He received 46 out of 50 first place votes. It was a landslide. Aiden Hutchinson, I think, got three. Believe it or not, Tariq Woolen actually got one first place vote, but it was always going to Sauce Gardner. He was incredible to watch. I can't wait to see his career continue. Then he talked about the offensive side of the ball. And believe it or not, after the Jets get in the same draft class, the Defensive Rookie of the Year, they have the Offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson, who squeaked out the win just barely over Seattle Seahawks running back Kenneth Walker. Garrett Wilson had 83 receptions for 1,100 yards this season, four touchdowns. Those receptions, those yards, those were Jets franchise records. He actually had 22 missed tackles after reception. So after catching the ball, he juked dudes out of their shoes 22 times, which is the second most in the entire league. You know who had the most? Debo Samuel. Makes sense. You know who had the second most? Garrett freaking Wilson. He did all of this with horrible quarterback play, and it was awesome to watch. Garrett Wilson on top of Sauce Gardner, and then the fact that Brees Hall probably would have been Offensive Rookie of the Year if he didn't get injured. What a freaking draft class. Jermaine Johnson was solid in getting better. Michael Clemens definitely made an impact right away year one and will be here for a while. Max Mitchell, he played some decent tackle this season. I mean, what a class for Joe Douglas and the Jets. And it's the reason that we are where we are today, feeling like, you know what, we're a quarterback away. This draft class is the reason why. Awesome seasons from both Sauce and Garrett. Then right after we see that on the NFL Honors, it's time to figure out who's actually going to make the Hall of Fame this year. First big one for the Jets. First time on the ballot, Darrell Rivas makes the Hall of Fame. He was the best cornerback I've ever seen play. One of the most dominant football players, maybe the most dominant football player I've ever seen. I loved Rivas Island. I had posters in my room. I had his jersey. 
I would watch his film. I would watch like, oh, just show me the, the snaps and the throws and the plays that he didn't even get thrown to because it was becoming such a spectacle in the league how well he was playing and teams were avoiding throwing to him that they were starting to make like highlight videos and stuff. These are early YouTube days. Like starting to make highlight videos and mashups of Darrell Rivas just running stride for stride with his man. And I loved watching it. And it was just like, yeah, obviously nobody's going to throw on him. And if they did, if it was just a little bit off, Darrell Rivas had the body control and the balance to catch almost any ball from any direction and usually would stay on his feet. The guy had pass deflections. He would tackle when he had to. He did his job. He didn't make headlines other than in the financial sense. On the field, he didn't make headlines. He was quiet. He let his work do the talking, and he was so freaking awesome. He was also one hell of a businessman, super shrewd, got a ton of, ton of big contracts, won a Super Bowl with the Patriots, that's all forgotten. He came back to the Jets, had a couple more good years with them, and uh, he deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is arguably the best cornerback to ever play the game. The best man, press man, cover corner to ever play. And then after that, if that wasn't enough, Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Darrell Rivas, you're going to tell me that for the first time ever, a legendary member of the New York Sack Exchange was selected for the Hall of Fame. Joe Klecko, congratulations. This guy was awesome. The New York Sack Exchange was that great 80s defensive line the Jets had of Abdul Salam, uh, Marty Lyons, Mark Gastineau, Joe Klecko, and Klecko was the best of them all. He made first-team All-Pro two times. In 1981, for example, as defensive lineman, he had 20 and a half sacks, which even today is like in 17 games is so, so hard. It never happens. And how about the fact that Joe Klecko was the only player in NFL history to make the Pro Bowl at all three defensive line positions. That's how good he was. You could line him up anywhere. It was like the Elijah Vera Tucker on the offensive line if he did it for an entire career and was making all pros doing it, getting 20 sacks in a season doing it, and creating this giant unit called the New York Sack Exchange. It was kind of a travesty that to this point Joe Klecko hadn't been nominated in. He was kind of getting forgotten, and then each year he'd kind of be on the ballot as like a potential legendary guy to make it. We weren't sure if it was ever going to happen in his lifetime even. And uh, for him to get it this year, super well-deserved, super stoked for Joe Klecko. So, I mean, it was a really, really exciting NFL honors, which normally I would never watch. But I had a feeling that Sauce Gardner was going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. I knew that Darrell Reeves would be first ballot Hall of Fame. And I was kind of curious to see, could Garrett Wilson squeak it out? And would they give Joe Klecko the nod? And when I got both of them, oh, that was a fun night. And then on top of it, you got Geno Smith winning comeback player of the year, which is just, I mean, you got a root for the guy. So funny, though, that, like, it was our trash. He was here. I remember how frustrating he was to watch play quarterback. I mean, I couldn't wait to get rid of the guy by the end of his tenure here with the Jets, and now he's playing at, like, almost age 30 for the Seahawks and playing really freaking well and winning comeback player of the year. So props to Geno. Glad that he made a career out of what was a very shaky and ugly start. So that is our player honors for the Jets, closing out the season. Now looking towards 2023, the Jets kind of need to get a little bit better. We know that they're on the right track, but we know they have to make some improvements. And they started with front office changes. Mike LaFleur, our offensive coordinator, has been fired after two seasons with the team. He came over from San Francisco with Robert Sala. He was the quarterback's coach for the 49ers. He's the brother of Matt LaFleur, head coach of the Packers. And he was a young, promising offensive coordinator. I liked him a lot. I thought he had great play calls his first year. I thought they were pretty good his second year. 
I think he's got a really, really good football mind. I think it comes natural to him. He's a smart dude, very analytical when it comes to that stuff. As time comes on and some stories and things come out, I think it's becoming more obvious now that Mike LaFleur maybe wasn't the best leader, maybe wasn't the best communicator, didn't maybe give people the right type of coaching and leadership and mentorship. Maybe he was a better mind on paper than he was in practice speaking to a guy and talking to them, which it happens. And because of that, the Jets decided to use him either as a scapegoat or just eliminate him entirely to get somebody else in there to try to coach this team up because with the Zach Wilson experience not working with a lot of uh, offensive line issues that we had, some questionable play calls and decisions here and there, the Jets needed to do something to switch it up. Mike LaFleur was the sacrificial lamb. He's landed in Los Angeles with Sean McVay to be the offensive coordinator there. So obviously we can see another great mind taking appreciation in another great mind, and those two guys are going to work together. I'm sure Mike LaFleur will be great. I have no reason to think that he's not really, really good at what he does in terms of scheming football, but I think that he just needed to uh, get a little bit better at interpersonal communication and maybe just evaluation of players in general. So because of that, he's out. When you lose him, you got to lose some other offensive coaches as well to let the new guy come in and pick some people. So John Benton, our offensive line and run game coordinator, he was fired. I think that's kind of a bummer for him because the offensive line was so spotty and Brees Hall left. So not a very easy job for John Benton, who's been pretty good for the Jets overall, but he's out. Miles Austin, our wide receivers coach, he's been fired, which is interesting because... You know, you've got, on one hand, you've got Denzel Mims, who's, like, progressing really, really slowly, and Braxton Berrios, who's, like, not getting utilized all that much, and some of these young guys that were like, come on. And at the same time, you got Garrett Wilson winning Offensive Rookie of the Year as a wide receiver in that room. But again, when you're moving some guys, you usually do more than just one. You start kind of moving groups of people out so you can bring groups of people in. And with that, the Jets hire their new offensive coordinator, one Nathaniel Hackett. This right now feels like old news because it happened so long ago, but I haven't talked about it, so I'm going to briefly. Nathaniel Hackett was a horrible head coach for the Denver Broncos. He frequently got flustered, didn't know what he was doing. He was behind on the play clock. He couldn't get his calls in in time. He was clearly in way over his head as a head coach for the Denver Broncos. He tried calling plays, not calling plays, doing all sorts of things with Russell Wilson to make it work, and it didn't. That said... He was a very successful offensive coordinator before that with both the Green Bay Packers and even with Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's a track record of being a good offensive coordinator and making things happen. He has a bad track record of a head coach. So if you're asking me if he should be a head coach in the league, absolutely not. But if you say should he be an offensive coordinator, I don't even think you can take all that much out of what he did with the Broncos. That's one of those situations where, like, you get promoted into the position above you because you were so good at your current position. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready to be the manager just because you were the great salesman, right? It's a totally different skill set. And so he's a good offensive coordinator, but maybe not the best head coach. And that's fine. But when you look at his OC experience, which is what I want to focus on, you talk about that Leonard Fournette and Blake Bortles offense, the Jaguars, that almost made it to the Super Bowl. That's damn impressive. And then when you look at the Packers most recently, obviously we've had some really, really good Aaron Rodgers MVP seasons, right? 2020 and 2021. Nathaniel Hackett was there as the offensive coordinator for the Packers, and you could see a lot of talent on that team. Aaron Jones was rocking. Robert Tanyan was coming on as like, a, ooh, this young new tight end could be really good for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was playing out of his mind. 
Alan Lazard looked so good that they were like, maybe they don't need Devontae Adams. Maybe they can use Alan Lazard as kind of like their number one big receiver, and they can get a couple other guys. All of a sudden, you lose Nathaniel Hackett. You look at the Packers last year, which is a very similar team to what they had, except they don't have Devontae Adams, and everything just seemed worse. The Robert Tanyans, the Aaron Joneses, Alan Lazards, every single player just seemed to be a slightly worse version of what they'd been the years before. Maybe that was the Devontae Adams effect. Maybe that was a couple injuries in the offensive line or Aaron Rodgers' age. Or maybe it was Nathaniel Hackett just scheming the guys up correctly and being a better coach than their, you know, the guy that came in to replace him. So when you look at the Jaguars, you look at the Packers and those two bodies of work as an offensive coordinator, I think there's reasons to be excited for the Jets. It also creates that small percentage chance that like maybe the Jets have a better chance of getting Aaron Rodgers now because we have Nathaniel Hackett. So that's kind of exciting too. I'm not ready to claim that Hackett is a really, really good offensive coordinator or even a solid one for the Jets. I just think that he deserves a shot, and I understand why they got him. He's also the son of a offensive coordinator named Paul Hackett, who I hated as a child. I knew nothing about football. I didn't really even know what the offensive coordinator position was, but I did know, I did know that I was so mad at the guy that kept running a draw play on like third and ten. I was like, why the hell are we running a draw play? I was like seven, six years old. I'm like, we should be throwing the ball. We need a first down. My dad was like, yeah, that's just Paul Hackett. So my entire memory of Paul Hackett was just, I hated that guy because he would run the ball on third and 10. But this is his son. The Jets history continues. Staying in the family. And then uh, the Jets hire a new offensive line and run game coordinator to replace John Benton. That's Keith Carter who's coming from the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans had a pretty good running game with Derrick Henry, obviously one of the best running backs in the league, some pretty good offensive linemen on that on that line as well, and Ryan Tannehill, a good veteran quarterback in the back. But I think there's reasons to think that Keith Carter could be a very good coach for that O-line and run game, and if Brees Hall and the guys can kind of do what they did there in Tennessee and be good enough to like you know establish that run game, ground and pound, keep the quarterback upright, get the ball out of the hands quickly into the playmaker's hands, I mean, that's the dream, right? Every year. So that's the front office moves. And now, the next order of business is going to be to check in with my dad, David Burnham, for this week's installment of Father Time. And today, I told my dad, I was like, listen, Dad, I'm doing a 2022 season recap. You can choose to talk about how the season ended, the quarterbacks that we're going to be looking into, free agency, any of the head coaching cha- or the coaching changes the Jets went through, front office changes, And I just gave him full creative freedom. He always has creative freedom, but I just gave him some. I'd like to talk about anything. This is what we got for this week's Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Congratulations to Offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson, and to Defensive Rookie of the Year, Ahmad Gardner. We have great young talent, and it's awesome to have young greatness on rookie contracts and it's important to hit on the draft picks that are available. These top picks have provided great returns, and lucky for Jet fans, J.D. is very good at spotting young talent, except perhaps at quarterback. Zach Wilson was in over his head last season, and we can say his play was spotty at best, but not enough spots for him to keep his job, so J.D. needs to enter the quarterback mosh pit to find an established and unfortunately expensive veteran replacement for Zach. At least this year, there are some good options, and Aaron Rodgers tops that list. Rodgers is currently under contract, which makes things a little bit more difficult. The Packers will want true value picks, which will mean giving up our first-round pick and then some. 
Again, congratulations to our Rookie of the Year award winners. In addition, Aaron Rodgers is expensive and may not be what he once was. Plus, he's gotten temperamental. While I like the idea of Aaron Rodgers unretiring Joe Namath's number 12 jersey, there are big expenses and many question marks that would come with this investment. This would be an exciting move and a big gamble. Another choice is Derek Carr. He's durable, he's got a good arm, a great leader, good mobility, and could perform very, very well with this roster assuming the O-line is repaired. He also would be expensive, but JD won't need to give up our draft picks to get him, so hello, new left tackle. He's also eight years younger than Aaron Rodgers, but honestly, I don't believe we're going to get either of them. I truly expect a solid reunion with Jimmy Garoppolo. I believe that the familiarity with the Jets and San Francisco's offensive systems will be an easy plug-and-play scenario. Jimmy G will be ready to roll, will be less expensive than Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers, won't cost any picks to get. We just have to pray that Jimmy Garoppolo stays healthy. Bottom line for me is, look for Rodgers to stay in Green Bay remaining under his existing gigantic contract. And while I would love to have Derek Carr be our quarterback for many reasons, I'm a fan. Don't expect him to sign with the Jets. I expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be the 2023 Jets quarterback. The continuity would be undeniable, and it just seems too easy. After all, the Jets are the 49ers of the East. I can see him dumping to Garrett Wilson and company and letting them do the rest. Go Jets. End scene. So, whoa. Dad decides to take it right to quarterbacks. He's not looking at 2022. He doesn't want to recap what's happened. He wants to talk about what's coming next year, just like we all do. We're excited for what's to come. And this quarterback decision is a really, really big one because we know that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala kind of need to make the playoffs. It's been a very long time. We also know the roster is almost there. We know that Zach Wilson, Mike White, and Joe Flacco are not the answer, so we have to go get one. And there are some guys that are actually worth getting. They're actually legitimate quarterbacks that could be plugged and played onto this Jets roster. We went 7-10 and 10 with atrocious quarterback play. If we plugged in even just like not even like C-minus quarterback play, we probably would have made the playoffs, right? So when you talk about these guys, he's mentioning Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, any single one of those guys on this Jets roster probably makes the playoffs. And there's other guys, too, that are better than a Zach Wilson or a Mike White. So there's opportunities to get this team moving in the right direction. That said, we have limited cap space. At this point in time, we sit at negative $2 million. We've got to have about, what, $7, $8 million for our draft class coming in. We've got guys with expiring contracts. And to make the room for a quarterback, we'll have to cut players, whether it's a C.J. Mosley or a John Franklin Myers, Braxton Berrios, Jordan Whitehead, whether it's restructures for those guys. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to slice it. And I think in the pre uh, free agency preview, I'm going to get into a lot more of that because there's a ton of scenarios of guys that we can cut, restructure, move on from, replacement guys that we can get, bargain dudes. Um, but that's stuff for another podcast. We do need to know, though, it needs to be remembered that the Jets can't afford any of these guys right now without making changes to the roster. They need to cut people, starters that we have right now, and potentially restructure guys as well. And that also means that whatever money you make by doing that, if you give it to a quarterback, you can't use it to gain free agent acquisitions like an offensive lineman or a new linebacker or whatever it may be, another wide receiver to have out there or a running back, right? You can't use the money for both. You'd have to make even more money to get those guys. So a lot of financial work will need to be done by Joe Douglas to make this whole thing work. So this is big decision time, and this is going to shape what happens to the Jets for years ahead here. 
how we use the cap space that we saved from the Jets rookie draft class this past year. It's going to be who Joe Douglas and Robert Sala kind of tie their names to. And potentially if this quarterback doesn't work, all those guys may be on their way out. They may not get another chance to coach a different quarterback, bring in a different veteran, draft another guy. This may be it. So it's very, very important. This is a huge decision. It also should basically, no matter what, inherently be an upgrade because our quarterbacks were so bad last year. So we're kind of playing with house money in that regard because the team is good and the quarterback sucked. So all you have to do is bring in, say, Jacoby Brissett, and your team can be, you know, a playoff team. Simple enough, right? The question is how far do we want to go, how much do we want to pay, and how are we going to get this guy? I break it down. I got four guys that I think are obtainable. New York Jets quarterbacks, whether they're under contract or not right now, I think they're guys that we could get, and I rank them my top four. Number one, Aaron Rodgers. Number two, Ryan Tannehill. Three, Derek Carr. And four, my dad's pick, or who he thinks we're going to get, Jimmy Garoppolo. I want to start by saying if we get any of those four guys, I will be happy as a clam. All four of them are huge improvements, and while I'm going to make pros and cons of each of them, doesn't mean that I dislike any of them as a Jets quarterback option. I just have my worries about every single one of them and the things that I like about every single one of them. There's a couple other guys that are probably never going to happen because they're going to re-sign with their current teams, but it would be interesting. It's Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones. Also, imagine if Tom Brady came out of retirement. He could be an upgrade quarterback for the Jets that could potentially be fighting for a Super Bowl. I don't think it's going to happen. Don't think he'd come here. And, yeah, just not going to happen. And then underwhelming Guys that are available, but better than what we have right now. I mean, we could plug and play, like I said, Jacoby Brissett. We could probably plug and play Andy Dalton, and we could be a much better team than we were last year. So, a lot of options. But when you talk about my rankings there, Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, and Jimmy G in that order, I got pros and cons for each of them. And I'm going to go through them real quick because this is the talk of the town right now. This is what everybody's talking about is the quarterbacks, what's going to happen with the Jets. And I've done a lot of thinking about it, talking with my dad, debating, doing research and all sorts of stuff. So here's what I've come up with. Aaron Rodgers is my first choice. He's under contract for two more years with a hefty contract, a lot of cash owed, big cap hits, and we'd probably need to trade a first-round pick and more to get him. That said, this guy is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. He immediately puts the Jets in a Super Bowl window today. And even though he's 39 years old, three of the last, or two of the last three years, he won NFL MVP. Not this most recent year, but the two years before, he won MVP. He was playing at a ridiculous level, extremely well, and even played last year very, very well with a new offensive coordinator, really, really bad weapons because for another year, The Packers have decided not to invest in offensive skill players for Aaron Rodgers. They trade away Devontae Adams, and they bring in rookies Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson, who really don't even get good until like week eight or nine of the season. And at that point, the Packers are already so underwater that he's trying to come back with this now. And Aaron Rodgers just is that guy. These guys do not become available. We can talk about Tannehill and Jimmy G and Derek Carr and all that and stuff. They are so light years below what Aaron Rodgers has been. You can project that Derek Carr will be better next year than an aging Aaron Rodgers next year. It's possible. But what we know historically is every single year that Aaron Rodgers has been in the league, he's been a better quarterback than any other guy that's available. He's the one player that moves the needle the fastest, and it's going to cost a lot to get him, but at least it puts us in immediate possible Super Bowl window, and I love that for the Jets. The negatives... 
His love for football is currently in question. Does he love ayahuasca tea and little Jackson Hole vision quests more than he loves playing football? It's definitely possible. If he's not winning in New York, he probably won't be having fun. Then what? Right? He's all over the media already, as we know, on the Pat McAfee show and all these different things that he does, Jeopardy, and he lives in Wisconsin and plays with the Packers. What if he's in New York City and the New York media and all these people available? It's going to be an absolute media bananas blitz, and that's going to be messy and annoying to watch, especially if it doesn't work. He's also getting older. He's been fighting through injuries, fought through injuries last year. What if he's not playing the best he's ever done? What if he's trending down and we just gave up a big draft pick, all this giant cap space. We had to cut people. We couldn't bring in new guys. We got this not-that-great team. Sold the farm to get Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't pay off because he's kind of not invested. Doesn't play that well. That would suck. But he's my first choice. My second choice, Ryan Tannehill. He's going into the final year of his deal with the Titans. $36 million cap hit this year. He's either going to get traded under this current contract that he has, or he could be cut by the Titans. If they do that, they would save $18 million. They would eat $18 million. So they may decide that they want to get rid of Ryan Tannehill. That's the option of getting him. There's also a scenario where the Titans do not get rid of him. They just keep him as their quarterback for next year for $36 million. It's possible. But I think given the direction that they're moving in, how uh, they've invested in Malik Willis, potentially want to see him go, and the team's kind of in a transition period, I think it's possible they would consider moving on and, uh, you know, saving the money. So if that's the case, Ryan Tannehill has some real positives. He's played at least 11 games every single year he's ever started, so very, very durable. He's a reliable veteran. He doesn't get flustered. He's sneaky athletic. So all those things that we haven't seen from, like, a Mike White and Zach Wilson, just, like, comfort under center, comfort reading the snaps, getting the ball downfield, making good decisions, being a veteran, being durable, all those things right away you get with Ryan Tannehill. He also doesn't break the bank in terms of getting him. There's no long-term commitment probably because he's 35 years old. You don't have to, like, get him for a four- or five-year deal. You don't have to pay him $200 million. You could probably pay him $30 million for the next year, maybe with a team option or something the year after that. It gives you more flexibility to upgrade to another quarterback sooner. The reason I like Ryan Tannehill is because, other than Aaron Rodgers, to me, Derek Carr is not a star enough for what he's going to get paid, and Jimmy Garoppolo is too much of an injury concern. So when you kind of line those things up, I don't want to force the stars to align with Derek Carr or Jimmy G because I don't think they're the guy. And I don't think Ryan Tannehill is the guy either, but I think he'll give us 17 games of healthy, solid quarterback play. It'll be enough to keep Joe Douglas and Robert Sala's jobs. And then it'll give us the ability to pivot to a new younger quarterback, like a draft pick next year, a Michael Penix, or another guy coming out. There's a lot of really good quarterbacks coming out of college next year, a much better class, I think, than what we have this year. So an opportunity to trade draft picks to move up in that draft class and try to get a quarterback then. I think that I would rather have a lesser Ryan Tannehill for a year or two than be tied to a better Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr for four years because I'm just not sold enough on him. The negatives to Ryan Tannehill, he's solid, he's nothing flashy, not a gunslinger, he's a 35-year-old game manager, and... If he can't make the playoffs, which it's possible that team wouldn't be incredible with Ryan Tannehill, if he can't make it there, it's possible the front office or coaching staff get fired, and I do not want that. I am Joe Douglas and Robert Sala's biggest fan, and I need them to stay. So the quarterback, whoever it is, has to make the playoffs and keep these guys on board. But Ryan Tannehill is 
my number two option. Now my number three quarterback, Derek Carr. His current contract doesn't have one. He is a legitimate free agent today because the Raiders cut him to save $40 million on February 15th. So he is legitimately a free agent. He can sign to a team today if he wants to before anybody else can. He's already met with the Jets. Apparently everybody came away from that feeling really, really good. The Jets felt good about what they saw from Carr. Carr felt good about what he saw from the Jets. But he wants to meet with other teams, do his due diligence to make sure that it's the right fit before he signs anywhere. Needs to get other offers, see other facilities and whatnot. And that all makes sense. He's also visited the Saints. That was before he was a free agent, didn't decide to go there. So we'll see what happens. But we're looking at an estimated $45 million perhaps for Derek Carr. Probably a long-term commitment, maybe like a a four-year, $200 million deal or something in that range. So, yeah, you're talking about a significant investment. You're talking about not being able to sign other players, having to cut some players in the Jets roster right now, and being tied to Derek Carr. So, the positives behind him, he's never played less than 15 games in a football season. That's crazy. 15, 16, or 17 games every single year he's been in the league since 2013. Or 2014, I think was his first year. But uh, crazy durable. And durability is very important. Very important to have your quarterback there week one through the final week of the season because you can't afford to lose games in the NFL, and when you put in a guy like Mike White or Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco, you may as well lose that game. So Derek Carr's durability is massive. He's put up good numbers on some bad rosters. He's had some good rosters, but he's had some bad ones as well. He's only 31 years old. He's got a lot of good football left, and he doesn't cost any draft picks to acquire because he's currently a free agent. He's an instant massive upgrade over the quarterbacks that we have right now, and he would be the best quarterback the Jets have had maybe in my lifetime. Maybe he's better than Chad Pennington or about there. Maybe he's better than Benny Testaverde or about there. But it would be a big-time get. The negatives, the reasons that I wouldn't want him, he's kind of a check-down quarterback who's afraid to make big throws. He would rather, on third and 10, throw the ball three yards than make a mistake downfield throwing the ball. Drives coaches crazy. They have a hard time working with him. Mike Tice, former Vikings head coach and ended up being the offensive line coach of the Raiders, actually left the Raiders, retired, and said he's stepping away from football because players these days don't like to get coached. His son, Nate Tice, on another podcast also said that Derek Carr was impossible to not get to throw a check down. They would have guys available downfield, and he would just constantly want to do check downs, check downns, this and that, and just take the little things, not get hit. It's one of the reasons that he's durable, one of the reasons he doesn't take a lot of sacks. He just gets rid of the ball. He checks it down. So potentially that could be an issue for sure. He's only appeared in a single playoff game. He lost it. He's going to have a big requirement contract or big contract requirement and commitment. So he's a good option. A massive improvement makes the Jets a playoff contender right away. But there's some negatives. He's my number three option. My fourth option, another good option, and I'm not going to sit here and say this is a horrible option because it's not and my dad is right, it's very, very possible it happens, is Jimmy G. He's going to be a free agent when the new year, league year starts on March 15th. The 49ers have, like, no interest in resigning him. They have Trey Lance, who they invested a lot in. Brock Purdy played this year and played pretty well. He's probably going to make somewhere around $35 million a year. So when you look at that and you look at the positives of Jimmy G, my dad mentioned a few of them already. He's familiar with the Jets coaches from his time in San Francisco. He's taken a team that's built just like the Jets to the Super Bowl. Good defense, yards after catch, wide receivers. I mean, they have a much better running game and offensive line there, but I think the Jets are working on that right now. Jimmy G's only 32 years old. 
He can handle the headlines. He can handle the press and the media. He's 40 and 17 overall as a quarterback record. So, like, the guy, when you talk about Derek Carr, he's like 60 and 80 or something. Like, does not win half his games, doesn't make the playoffs. Jimmy G, he's made seven playoff experience, seven playoff appearances. He's made the Super Bowl. He's 40 and 17. This guy just wins. The problem is, the negatives, he's super injury prone. He's currently coming off a broken foot, which shouldn't have like a long lead time to recover from, but. Three out of the six years he's been in San Francisco, he's missed at least 10 games. Double-digit games in half the years he's been there. He's had shoulder issues, and when he plays even, he does have some inconsistency in decision-making. Sometimes he throws bad interceptions. It's not like he's 100% sharp between the years all the time. I don't think he's as... I think he's younger and maybe a little bit bit more skill at quarterback than like a Ryan Tannehill, but I think his decision-making is a little bit lower than a Ryan Tannehill. But when you just talk about those injuries, that's enough to make him number four for me. I don't think that he's going to play 17 games. I don't think that he's going to play nine games for a team next year. If he comes to the Jets, especially with the offensive line we have right now, he's going to get hit. And when he gets hit, if he goes down, it's right back to Zach Wilson. And if you're playing Zach Wilson or Mike White or Chris Traveller, you're probably not winning the game. And if you're not winning the game, you're probably not going to make the playoffs. And that would suck. I don't want to watch the backup quarterback play. I don't want a Luke Falk season, a Trevor Simeon season, Brooks Bollinger, Clemens, Kellen Clemens. I've done backup quarterbacks so many years of being a Jets fan. Jimmy G just looks to me like I'm going to be watching a backup quarterback play. That said, if he's not, if he's healthy and, and Jimmy G's there all year, yeah, he's definitely a guy that could take the Jets to a Super Bowl. He's done it before. Teams just like this. So that's the positive. He's my number four. But between those guys, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy G, all four of them, I would be happy with. No real complaints from me. It's just uh, which guy they decide to go with. And I hope it's one of them. If not, maybe they make something work somehow for Lamar Jackson. That would be amazing. Maybe an interesting move for Daniel Daniel Jones. I don't see that happening, but you never know. And then, like, worst-case scenario, if you put Jacoby Brissett or Andy Dalton on this team, we could probably make a little bit of noise in the AFC East and probably make the playoffs, I think, if we play well and guys stay healthy. So... Those are kind of the guys I'm looking at. When you talk about drafting a quarterback, I haven't done the evaluation there yet. I can talk about that on like the pre-draft podcast that I do in April, but I don't really see it. Unless the Jets decide to trade up for like C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, I don't think that Will Levis or uh, Anthony Richardson are going to be the guys. So now before we close this podcast episode out, I want to talk about what's next, some important dates around the NFL. First one, big one, franchise tag window started today, runs through March 7th. The deadline for the franchise tag is March 7th at 4 p.m. What that means is between now and then, a team can sign a player to a franchise tag, which is basically forcing a player that's currently under contract on your team, an unrestricted free agent, to remain on your team for one more year for a very, very high salary. You can basically force any player that's got an expiring contract. So right now, the Jets don't have anybody in that mix. Next year, Quinn and Williams, when he's not under contract, if they haven't come to an extension with him, he could be tagged for like $20 million and you get him for one more year. But for the Jets, it means something this year because you got to look at Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones, who are currently about to be free agents. They're either going to sign contract extensions with their teams or potentially be tagged. we got to figure out what those teams are going to do. And if they can't come to an agreement and they don't really want to do a tag or the player says that maybe they're going to hold out if they get tagged, the question becomes, are they capable of being traded for? Would the Jets look to do something like that for either one of those guys? Orlando Brown, left tackle for the Chiefs, similar situation. Jets could be looking at him if he's a free agent. Just kind of watching those guys and what happens with them. I assume 
all three of those guys are going to return to their current teams, but that's the franchise tag window is. We're going to find out between now and March 7th. On March 13th, the legal tampering period begins. That means the Jets are going to be able to start talking to players that are under contract with other teams about agreeing in terms to deals. It's basically the start of free agency without officially being the start of free agency. The official start is March 15th, but so many deals are done before that, so like the real start when it actually happens is the 13th. And uh, So that's coming mid-March. Expect a podcast sometime right before that. Then free agency, you know, also on March 15th at 4 p.m. when free agency technically truly begins, that's when every single team has to be under the salary cap. The Jets are currently at negative $2 million, so they got a little bit of work to do, but I'm sure they'll get there. Then after that, the draft, April 27th to April 29th in Kansas City. It's going to be a fun one for the Jets. We'll see what they end up doing. They do have a first-round pick this year. They got a lot of picks, a lot of good opportunities, so we'll see what they can do. And that's like the big stuff that's upcoming that we can see put on the schedule, the radar, and things we're going to do podcasts around. Like I said, I want to do a pre-free agency and a post-free agency podcast. I want to do pre-draft and post-draft. Then I want to do like a training camp preview. And you never know, there could be some surprise episodes as information and news becomes available. So that's really all I got for this 2022 season recap. It was a fun season. I loved doing it. And on top of that, it's been great working with Gangrene Nation. It's been great being a part of the Gangrene Nation and SB Nation and what they've done for me. And uh, I appreciate John B., everybody on that site, anybody who found this podcast from that site and has become a listener or engaged with me on Twitter, all that stuff like it really does mean a lot. The, the podcast has grown tremendously since being a part of that. And I'm saying goodbye to everybody, but it's just because I'm moving somewhere else. The fans first sports network is going to be a great home to me. The podcast is going to remain the same, same sort of, you know, format and content and everything's going to be driven through that. It's just an opportunity to do it somewhere else with some people that are really, really passionate about it. A little bit less of like that big corporate company mindset of Vox media and SB nation a little bit more of a passion project of some really cool people. So I think it's going to be a good thing for me. But please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. I hope to see you. People transferring over to the new podcast home. It's going to be called This Is The Jet Life. If you want updates or anything, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. That's the best place to see kind of what's going on with everything else. But, uh, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out. Um, I appreciate it all. Thank you for listening. So I will see you all over there in a few weeks at Fans First Sports Network on the This is the Jet Life podcast. It's going to be a wild ride. Let's have some fun. That's all I got. Thanks, everybody. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is the Jet Life. (laughs) 